Thank you to Western Washington Coalition for Life for sponsoring today's broadcast of Live Talk Northwest. Born from prayer and a promise in 2018, the WWCFL's mission is to provide encouragement and support through resources, education, and information focused on embracing the beauty and sanctity of all human life. Engage with WWCFL at wwcfl.org or on Facebook at Western Washington Coalition for Life. Thank you, WWCFL, for supporting Life Talk Northwest. Welcome to Life Talk Northwest. We're so glad you're here. I'm Dan Kennedy, current board member and former CEO of Human Life of Washington. And this is Katie Welch, former Northwest Regional Coordinator and Industry Impact Coordinator for Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. We are so glad you are listening today because we have a very special guest this week. Today, our guest is Lauren Eden. Lauren is a wife, mom, minister, and second trimester DE abortion survivor. She has a degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Georgia. Lauren had a short stint in television and radio in her early 20s, but she left the broadcasting industry to do full time ministry shortly after she found out her survivor story. Since then, Lauren has served on three church staffs in the Atlanta area over the past 19 years, where she has focused her ministry on the next generation through her work in adult, student, and children's ministries. In 2020, Lauren connected with the Abortion Survivors Network, which catapulted her into sharing her abortion survivor story. Lauren's passion is using her voice to help others understand the truth about abortion. She considers herself a champion for life and for the next generation. Lauren lives in the the Atlanta area with her husband, David, and their three boys. Thank you, Lauren, for being here. We're so happy to have you join us on Life Talk Northwest today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I just want to thank you for all of your amazing work and sharing your story. I know that can't be easy. But could you start by telling us a little bit about your story? I grew up in a very loving home, and I have two younger sisters, so I'm the oldest of three girls, and all that I knew about my story growing up was that I was born premature and that my parents got pregnant with me as college students. When I graduated from college in May of 2004, I moved back home, and I was looking for a job, and on June 20th, of 2004, I remember unpacking from a trip and my mom came into my bedroom and asked me what I was doing that day. And when I told her that I was unpacking and doing laundry, she closed my bedroom door and told me that she needed to talk to me. And immediately her eyes filled with tears and I knew something was wrong. And she started to tell me that I had always known that I was born premature, but what I didn't know was that there were other circumstances that led up to my premature birth Mm -hmm. and that she had never meant to keep that information from me, um, but that she was sitting at the University of West Georgia going back to college and studying for a test, and God pretty much just hit her over the head and told her that she needed to tell me my story. Wow. So what my mom proceeded to tell me was that Um, She was an 18-year-old college student. My dad was a senior, and about three months into them dating, my mom found out that she was pregnant. And, of course, she was shocked. Um, She had no plans of having a a baby at that point in time. She was on a full-ride scholarship to the University of Arkansas, um, an academic scholarship. And 
her plan was to either go to engineering school or go to law school. She was one of the first people in her family to go to college, and so that was a really big deal to her. And when she found out she was pregnant, all she could think about was how this baby would change her life and interrupt her plan. Mm -hmm. And she viewed the pregnancy as, quote-unquote, a problem. So she went to tell my dad that she was pregnant, and they cried, they talked about it, and they kind of just hoped it would go away. (laughs) Um, That doesn't happen, though. But, of course, as we all know, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't happen that way. Um, And so about a month later, my mom made up her mind and went to tell my dad that she wanted to have an abortion. And so she knocked on my dad's apartment door and told my dad her plan. And my dad was adamantly against her plan of having an abortion. And he expressed that to her. And my mom basically told him that he wasn't the one that was going to have to give birth to a baby and deal with all the consequences of, you know, an unplanned pregnancy. And so she left his apartment, and she called her friend and asked her friend to take her to an abortion clinic. And the closest clinic to them was about two hours away in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So her friend picked her up and drove her to Tulsa. And when they got to the clinic, they went to the address that was in the phone book, and the doors to the clinic were closed, and they couldn't get in. So they went to a payphone. And they called the clinic, and the clinic had moved to the other side of town. And they told her that she was going to miss her appointment window and that she was going to have to reschedule for the next day. So they drove back to the University of Arkansas, made another appointment, went back the next day. And when my mom got there, they did an ultrasound. Now, my mom had been to a confirmation of pregnancy appointment at a local OBGYN, and she knew at the time that she was about eight weeks pregnant. Um, But when she got to the abortion clinic and they did the ultrasound and they measured the size of my head, I measured just over 13 weeks gestation. And in Oklahoma at the time, they only did abortions up to 12 weeks. So they wouldn't go through with the procedure. Well, my mom was frustrated. They went back to the University of Arkansas and she knew that she could get an an abortion at a clinic in Little Rock, Arkansas. So she made an appointment for the next day and had another friend scheduled to take her to the appointment. My dad was going to take her to the friend's house and drop her off. And as they drove through the mountains of northern Arkansas, my mom laid her head down on my dad's lap as they drove and fell asleep. And my dad put his hand on her stomach and began to pray that God would intervene. And as they were driving through the mountains, they came upon this big cloud of fog, um, bigger than my dad says he's ever seen before or since that point. And it was so foggy that he couldn't see the front of his car. And it became too dangerous for him to continue to drive. And about that point, my mom woke up and was arguing with my dad that he needed to keep driving because she was bound and determined to get to this friend's house. And my dad just kept saying that he didn't feel safe and that they needed to turn around. And finally, they got to a point where my dad turned around and went back. So, again, they had to reschedule their appointment. And um, the next day, they drove to Little Rock. My mom's friend picked her up this time. And they drove to the clinic in Little Rock. And when they got there, they did another ultrasound. 
that particular clinic did did abortions up to 15 weeks, and my head circumference measured 15.3 weeks pregnant. (laughs) And it was just two days after the previous ultrasound that she had had in Tulsa. So the numbers didn't align. They didn't add up. They didn't make any sense. Um, My mom proceeded to be a little bit frustrated, (laughs) and that clinic staff told her about a clinic in Dallas, Texas. And her friend's sister lived in Dallas, and so they proceeded to make an appointment at at the clinic in Dallas, and they went and stayed with her friend's sister at the clinic, or when they went to the clinic. Um, That particular clinic did abortions up to 20 weeks. And so when they got to the sister's house, the sister wasn't particularly happy that they were staying with her because of the circumstances, sure. she was also pregnant, and she was about the same number of weeks oh, along man. as my mom was. Yeah. <clears throat> so she started telling her sister, does your friend realize that there's a real baby inside of her? Does she realize that this baby is probably kicking, and she probably thinks it's gas pain, but it's actually the kicks of a baby? And my mom didn't realize that at all. As a matter of fact, she had no education on what the the baby developing inside of her looked like, how far along she was, how big the baby was. And up to this point, she didn't even know what she was seeing when she went into those ultrasound rooms. Um, but she decided, you know, despite her friend's sister's words, she decided to go to the clinic anyway. And um, she had another ultrasound done as soon as she arrived. And... That particular clinic, again, did abortions up to 20 weeks, and my mom measured just over 20 weeks pregnant. Again, they wouldn't go through with the ultrasound and with the abortion. So my mom proceeded to have a little bit of a nervous breakdown, and she told the clinic staff that it was like somebody bigger than her was obviously trying to prevent her (laughs) through with her plan. Yeah, I think. Yeah. They referred her to their sister clinic on the other side of town, And that clinic performed abortions up to 22 weeks. My mom double-checked with the staff and said, can I please just take the ultrasound results from your clinic to the clinic on the other side of town? Because if I have to go through with another ultrasound procedure, (laughs) I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to be able to go through with this. Uh So they assured her that she could take their results. They went to the other side of town the next day, and um, instead of doing the ultrasound, they went ahead and they started the two-day dilation and evacuation abortion procedure. So in that procedure, what they do is they take a substance called laminaria, and it's made of a seaweed-like substance. They insert it into the woman's cervix, and it dilates her cervix. Um, They send you home. They tell you to take Tylenol if you're in any pain, and they tell you to come back the next morning for the second half of the procedure. So the abortionist inserted the laminaria into my mom's cervix, and when she went back to the home she was staying at, the reality started to set in mm-hmm. about what was about to happen. Sure. She was in pain. She was in labor, um, and her sister's, the friend's sister's thoughts were running through her head about this baby being an actual human being. Mm-hmm. About midnight that night, my dad said the Lord laid it on his heart to call my mom, and so my dad called her. And at this point, he hadn't really been in touch with her. He had kept up with her through her friends because she wasn't real happy with him for opposing her decision. 
but he called her anyway, and he asked if he could pray for her. And he prayed for her over the phone, and as soon as he was done praying, my mom was crying, and she said, if you'll drive to Dallas and meet me at the clinic for my procedure, I'm 90% sure I won't go through with the abortion. Okay, let's, let's, we are at a hard break here. Let's hold it with your dad on the way to Dallas, hopefully. Um, okay. And we'll pick it up uh, on the other side of the break. You are listening to Life Talk Northwest on Sacred Heart Radio, and we are talking to Lauren Eden, an abortion survivor with a fascinating story and a ministry to all of you out there. We'll be right back. Our commitment to the dignity and value of all human beings is the reason why the ecclesial community establishes such things as soup kitchens, provides shelter for the homeless, medical care for the poor, same conviction should compel all of you today to defend the right to life of every human being from conception to natural death to care for and protect the unborn and all those whom others might deem inconvenient or undesirable. Welcome back to Life Talk Northwest. We're speaking with Lauren Eden, an abortion survivor. Fascinating story. Lauren, could you continue where you left off before the break? Yes. So my mom had traveled to Dallas, Texas after going to a couple other abortion clinics and not being successful with her abortion procedure. And the abortionist inserted a substance called laminaria into her cervix to start dilating her cervix. And in the middle of the night, my dad called and asked to pray for her. And when he was done praying, my mom said that if my dad would drive to Dallas and meet her at the abortion clinic that her appointment was at the following morning, Mm -hmm. that she was 90% sure she wouldn't go through with the abortion. Well, there was a little bit of a problem. My dad didn't have a way to get to Dallas. Oh, no. Um, He didn't have gas money. And he knew his parents would not support his decision to drive to Dallas. In fact, his parents were very adamant that my mom have an abortion, Mm. as were her parents. Sure. So my dad went to a couple from his church. The wife was the youth director of his church at the time, Mm -hmm. and their names were Bill and Jana. And he proceeded to tell Bill and Jana what was going on. They hadn't met my mom. They didn't know about my mom's pregnancy, much less that she had been trying to have an abortion. Um, But Jana got on her knees and prayed that if God would allow them to be a part of saving this baby's life, that they would be willing to help in any way that they could, including taking my mom in. And she went and woke Bill up and told Bill that my dad needed money to get to Dallas. Mm -hmm. And Bill... Handed his dad, he handed my dad his credit card, and told him to go to Dallas and to wow. save his baby's life. So my dad had gas money, and he drove. He left at four a.m. to drive to Dallas, 
and he was a few minutes late getting to my mom's appointment, and when he walked into the clinic, he was terrified that she was already back in the procedure room. So he paced the halls, and he he cried out to God and just asked God to intervene. And as he turned around, the elevator doors opened, and my mom was actually standing there, and she had overslept. They rejoiced, they hugged, they went into the clinic to tell the abortionist they weren't going to go through with the procedure. And he proceeded to tell my mom that she was basically risking a miscarriage or a stillbirth, and that there was a very good chance that that would happen, along with complications for herself. Um, It was possible that she would have infection or bleeding or sepsis. And she said that she was willing to take the risk. And so they drove back to, as they drove back to Little Rock, he told my mom to lie in the back seat of the car and put her feet up on the window um, so that the baby wouldn't fall out. And Mm. she did. And so as they drove, my mom started recounting for my dad um, all of the obstacles that she had been through, all of the clinics that she had been to. And she told my dad that it was like someone bigger than her was trying to prevent her from going through (laughs) with her plans. Mm -hmm. My dad smiled, and he told my mom that although... They had not been talking a lot. Um, as my mom went from clinic to clinic, my dad had been keeping up with her through her friends. And every time she was going to a clinic, my dad was praying that God would somehow uh-huh. intervene. And he continued to tell her about the specific prayers that God had um, placed on his heart to pray for my mom. And in each clinic, how God had intervened in a very specific ways in order to save my life. Um, in fact, there were about 15 miracles that God did along the way that my mom, that my dad talks about to this day. Mm-hmm. And so as they were driving, um, they started to talk about what to do next. And my dad told my mom that he had made an appointment for her at, with a pro-life OBGYN for her to go see him when they got back, oh, and also that he had a place for her to stay with this couple named Bill and Jana, who, whom she had never met before. <laughs> um, and when they got to the OBGYN's office, they went in, and somehow, miraculously, my mom's cervix was closed, which if you talk to any medical wow. professional, yeah, it is not like, that is not likely at all. Wow. <laughs> that would have happened no. on the drive back. Um but she moved in with Bill and Jana, and she actually could go go about her normal day-to-day life. She got a job at Target, and they turned their office into a bedroom for my mom. And they would spend all day with their kids and working. And then at night, they would stay up late talking to my parents and going through Scripture and praying about what they should do mm-hmm. with this baby. And my parents were on two very different pages. My mom wanted to give me up for adoption because she just didn't feel equipped to take care of a a baby, an 18-year-old. My dad wanted to keep me, but he didn't really have a good plan in place about what that would look like. (laughs) And so Jana... Somebody did, though. (laughs) That's right. Jana says that she felt like she was, God was using her, you know, to bring them together and help them get on the same page about what their plan was. Um, but to their surprise, on July 26, 1982, in the middle of the night, my mom went into premature labor, and she was rushed to the hospital. And when she got to the hospital, the doctors told her that there was only a 5% chance 
that this baby would survive based on how early it was and all of the complications from the abortion procedure. Mm -hmm. And if I did survive, there was a 95% chance that I would have severe brain damage. Well, as my mom was in labor, my dad and Jana got on their knees and they prayed that God would intervene once again. And at 823, on July 26th, I was born. I weighed two pounds, six and a half ounces. And I was actually born in call, which means inside of the amniotic sac. Wow. Um, That's cool. And so I just feel that that's another symbol of God's protection. Absolutely. Um, So miraculously, even though I had no complications from my birth, I was just incredibly tiny. I didn't have any of the brain damage that the doctor predicted that I would have. And they rushed me off to the NICU, and my dad followed behind, and he says when he got when they got me settled in an incubator, I just latched onto his finger and uh, wouldn't let go. And um, he just continued to pray over my life. And my mom didn't want to see me because her plan was still to put me up for adoption. Um, But that afternoon, in a weak moment, a nurse asked if she wanted to see me and she said yes. Uh And so she took her up to the NICU. And when my mom saw me and how tiny I was, she knew that she had to keep me. Sure. So my parents and Bill and Jana all fought together to um, help me gain weight and to get me out of the NICU where I was for 53 days. Um, my grandparents actually ended up really falling in love with me. Um, <laughs> and I went home when I went home from the hospital, I went home to my dad's parents' house. Um, and my parents got married just a few weeks later on October 2nd. So they actually just celebrated their 41st wow. wedding anniversary. Wow, that's fantastic. That's great. What an incredible story. Uh, wow. Also that you could be on our show today. So, <laughs> but, God works everything out for the good. Yeah, he does. Uh, it is amazing how many times God steps into our life uh, or into someone's life. So your mom told you this story. I, You know, as I said off the air, I have a tremendous amount of respect for mothers who have the courage to talk to their children who survived an attempted abortion. It is just, I can't imagine the courage it takes to do that and the love it takes to do that. Uh, and as I, as I said, uh, you know, pass along our our admiration for your mother uh, and for your father. He certainly was persistent. This is an amazing story. But you know, how did you react when she told you that? And how do you, how do you come together and and have forgiveness? That's a great question. Um, I had actually just graduated from college, and I was in a place in my life where I was really struggling with what I was going to do next. I was looking for a job, but my senior year of college, God, I just felt like God had really redirected my steps, Mm -hmm. and I felt that He was calling me into full-time ministry rather than into a broadcasting career. Sure. And so I moved home at that point in time, not really sure what to do. And my parents were actually very disappointed in me. They thought I was taking, quote, the easy way out, and... Um, I kept telling them that y'all have raised me to follow God's plan for my life, and this is what he's telling me to do, so this is not the easy road. (laughs) Uh, But about that time is when my mom told me my story, and it just really solidified for me that God had a very specific purpose 
and plan for my life. Mm-hmm. It was very humbling. Um, it almost felt like I was watching a scene from a movie unfold, as sure. my mom was telling me in my bedroom that day. It really didn't feel real. Uh-huh. Um, but I think God had prepared my heart, and I knew just listening to my mom and you know the amount of tears that she shed and the things that she said in that couple of hour long conversation. I knew she was really struggling with forgiving herself. And the one thing that God had taught me over the last couple of years in college was about the length at which he goes to to save his children. And I knew that God would, had forgiven my mom and that he was calling me to forgive her as well. And so that was something I offered right away. Um, by the end of our conversation, I said, Mom, I just want you to know that I love you. And I forgive you. Wow. And I think that was a very powerful and healing moment for her. We we are, unfortunately, Lauren, we are at the end of our show. Uh, I wish we could go on because there's a lot more to this story <laughs> and a lot more to talking about the forgiveness. But it certainly leaves us, uh, your story leaves us with the idea that every life is a miracle, uh, mm-hmm. whether wanted or unwanted. Uh, it is a miracle. Uh, and that life belongs to God. And no matter what we have done, no matter what we do, um, God's mercy is available for all of us. We're all sinners. We are all sinners, and forgiveness is available to all of us. So, Lauren, I I am just so impressed with your story and with your mother and your father. Uh, And I want to thank you so much for being here on Life Talk Northwest. Uh, We ask for uh, the blessings on you and your family. Um, This is a wonderful story. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share it. You have been listening to Lauren Eden on Life Talk Northwest, a fascinating story from an abortion survivor. I'm Dan Kennedy. Uh, Blessings on our listeners. And I want to thank all our listeners and Lauren for speaking with us today. You have been listening to Life Talk Northwest on Sacred Heart Radio. I'm Katie Welch. God bless you all. Thank you to Western Washington Coalition for Life for sponsoring today's broadcast of Life Talk Northwest. Born from prayer and a promise in 2018, the WWCFL's mission is to provide encouragement and support through resources, education, and information focused on embracing the beauty and sanctity of all human life. Engage with WWCFL at wwcfl.org or on Facebook at Western Washington Coalition for Life. Thank you, WWCFL, for supporting Life Talk Northwest.